0: Here we go. <laughs> it's great to be here, as weird as it is, uh, the situation that we're in. Uh, being here feels like home to me in so many ways. And being a part of this church is something that has affected my life and our family's life. And as Jared shared already, our church's life in ways that are not just past, but present and, and even future. So we're so, so thankful. And I want to, I could just go on and on about that, but I'm not going to. But what I do want to say is the first Sunday that we we moved into our house, Paragould, Arkansas, and we brought our families with us to the gathering, at least my wife's families, that thought we were coming to join a cult. Why would, why would you move to Paragould, Arkansas, reorient your whole life to come here? I know now I would encourage anybody to. But it was very weird to them while we would leave a lot of security and come invest everything we had into this church and into this city and the first sermon jared preached was this text and he started by singing having everybody sing don't worry be happy (laughs) i don't even know if jared remembers that or not and i just remember looking over through that sermon as jared not only sang so beautifully for us but then just open God's word to the good news of Jesus in the face of fear and worry and anxiety. Just seeing my in-laws, their, their their countenance change and their bodies relax because they knew that we were coming to be a part of the church that loved Jesus. An imperfect church, as we all know, and all churches are and all people are, but a church where God's word was proclaimed with truth and grace and hope. And so I, I am so thankful for that and I'm so thankful that my mind went to getting to know Jared, Luke and others, even Randy, that, uh, that I can, I can trust my family to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. And, and now with the addition of Luke and, and Chuck and others that I'm probably forgetting and I don't mean any offense is, man, what a, what a great place this is. And so I hope you guys know that in all the hard times that, that, that you were really blessed to be a part of the crossing, which I have to remember to call it, the Crossing Church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so let's look in Matthew 6. We're going to have a, kind of a, a big passage, but it really connects together, I think, in a beautiful way. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food. And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? sufficient for the day is its own trouble let's pray father we thank you for your word because we are a a people full of worry i confess that i am thank you in some ways for texts like this that really preach themselves and so i ask god that you would help me not to muddy it uh, to exaggerate something diminish something and where i do i pray that the spirit would give those who listen. Uh, his ability to, to sort out where conviction is, is healthy and where comfort is healthy and that you would grow us into the fullness of Christ so that we might enjoy you and enjoy our lives so that we might seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and trust you to provide. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes my anxiety keeps me up at night. And one particular night here recently that I was just racked with anxiety was when we had our third bicycle stolen from the new neighborhood that we moved into. So it's, it's not a surprise because we've intentionally moved into a place that we knew had some, some struggles, but also a lot of beautiful Potential, But this particular one stung because this was a a bicycle that I'd bought for my middle son that was a little better than the normal Walmart ones that we buy because our boys are so rough on stuff. They're just like breaking these things. And so we're gonna get a a little better one. It was my daughter's 14th birthday party and we had a bunch of family over, uh, but trying to be wise coronavirus, don't judge. So we had a, a just a family birthday party with wise social distancing. But in the front yard, you know, everybody's just parked their cars. And we've got several smokers in the family. So if we're not hanging out on the front porch, you know, there's people coming in and out smoking. And this was like the most bold thief, evidently, that that I could have imagined. Because when we went in to cut the cake, there was like this 10 to 15 span again where there's not at least everybody sitting out on the front porch or somebody out there smoking that this guy must have just walked through all of these cars and came up, because I'd already warned my son because of the other bikes, like you can't, can't leave your bike on the porch overnight, which I think a kid ought to be able to do that. But that's, that's another thing. But I've warned him. And so so what he did is he, he put it right up in the corner by the garage because we we're just running in. So this guy came up through here and he got it because when we came outside, it was he's like, where's my bike? And at first, I'm thinking somebody probably hit it—a cousin being dumb—or it's it was gone. And so I was I was like ticked off. My gut reaction, honestly, was to blame him and shame him, which obviously that wasn't good. But I'd like to say that I looked at him and hugged him and said something like, "Son, a bite can be replaced, so let's stay calm. Or why don't we pause right now and pray for whomever took it." Or let's call the police and trust the process or even let's trust God that even he turns our bad things to good things and because of God our bad things are never ultimate things blah 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 (laughs) I was so ticked off and not just that cliche I can't stand a thief but like ready to like throw down and so I immediately I'm glad that I hope this wasn't filmed. Who knows nowadays? And maybe it was. But I got in our minivan, you know, a great vehicle of intimidation to, to just start driving up and down the streets because this guy couldn't have got far. And so here I am in our little white minivan, you know, with the windows rolled down, driving down all these back alleys and all these places where I would suspect that somebody might do something like this. I'm likely cursing in my heart, not going to affirm whether that's true or not. And, you know, what What was I going to do if I found him? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but I was excited to find out. But, it, but it, but of course, I didn't find out. Called the police, but as kind as they were, you know, stolen box, what do you do? You scratch off the serial number, you repaint the thing, and you change some minor parts. In my anger, it got really inordinate. And this is what it looked like for me. Because I wasn't just angry, I, I began to get really anxious. And the, what anxiety does to me is it takes a situation like that and it just pulls me down into this whole like vortex. And what that vortex looks like for me is, is my mind won't stop, my, my body won't stop, my heart won't stop, but it feels like my breathing might stop. And in this situation, it seemed that that bite was like this bigger symbol for my ability to provide for my family, to protect my family to give my, my son the ability to go in and have some cake at his brother's birthday party and not have to be afraid that he'd walk out and lose something that's so precious to him. So there was this deep shame that came over me. And so I very, in a very unhealthy way, I distanced myself from my family. So like, I'm just going to go out and drive this van for hours, scouring the city. And then when I get home, like, honestly, it's embarrassing to admit, like, I, I'm calling, is it, texting. Is everybody gone? Because I'm not pulling back up in the middle of that party. And then I won't go in the house and stay up out on the porch, like, are they going to come back or something. But in the weirdness of my anxiety, because when I get anxious, I get weird. In the weirdness of my anxiety, I was thinking... I hope somebody comes back and tries to steal something else. So I'm like fantasizing about putting another bike by the side of the road with, a, with, a, with some fishing line on it. <laughs> and evidently, people do stuff like that and video it, but that would be funny. When they drive off, it just jerks back real hard. But there was this deep shame. There was this, this also this kind of existential crisis of like, why does life even matter? Why do you even try? I mean, we've moved here to be missionaries and like it's pretty much like people just see us as easy pickings. That stolen bike on that particular night, due to all that's in my story and was going on in my heart, was about so much more than just a bike. It seemed to confirm all that my soul might worry about. My life is uncertain. Some days I think, yeah, I probably have cancer. (laughs) I don't know if y'all think dumb things like that. My life has little value because I'm just not enough for my family. I'm not enough for myself. And at the end of the day, why does life even really matter? Why should we even try? So again, maybe you think I'm crazy and probably am. But maybe some of you at least can relate that, that we are an anxious people. It's debilitating sometimes because sometimes it's about actual things, but the actual things then lead us to this being caught up in all the potential things. And and what our text has to say about this today is not everything. So I, I'm not going to settle anxiety and tackle it from all the areas, but we just want to take some things from Matthew 6:19 through 34. And one thing it is saying very clearly is we cannot consume our way out of anxiety. And, and I'm going to say this several times in, in this sermon, is we particularly, I think, as, as Americans, and I'll be negative about America, like we're like saying to God, hold my beer. <laughs> like we think that I can, I can get the right stuff and my heart will be calm. Or I can gain the right image or success and I'll feel good and be able to sleep at night. Or I can, I can achieve certain things or live my life and put my energies in a certain way that I can have finally reached that point where I've arrived and I'm secure. We sing things like this. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. And it could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti ice, a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. And boy does that resonate with us. Because this is what we think. It's funny because it's true. Life sucks. All day long, anxiety after anxiety. And I can't control anything. And I'm probably not anything. And I probably won't ever be anything. But I could at least have fun today. If I could just... I could spin my way out of this insecurity. Some more stuff, some better image, some success could get me out of this anxiety. Well, God in His Word doesn't treat anxiety as a simple issue. And this is a multifaceted diamond that really all of us will spend all our lives learning more how to approach in a healthy, biblical, holistic matter. But in our text, Jesus is seeking, I think, to disrupt our acceptance of anxiety as just a part of our lives. That we have to live enslaved to. Some of you have probably made friends with it. Some of you probably think. It's actually very helpful in my life. It's what keeps me safe. Is freaking out over everything. And while it does serve some purposes. In some situations. All it does is keep us in this vicious cycle. That prevents us from experiencing a greater freedom. Freedom in the gospel of the kingdom. So to fight for this freedom versus anxiety, I think our text is saying we have to invest our hearts in the security of our Heavenly Father versus the stability of these earthly sources. The first thing we see in our text is the inadequate investments that fuel this anxiety. This is in verses 19 through 21. Again, all all of these little sections could be their individual sermons. But let's connect it to this therefore that we see Jesus in verse 25 saying. He says all these things, these little tidbits we're familiar with. And then he says, therefore, don't be anxious. So there's there's a connection to these texts. To this section and the first thing in verses 19 through 21 is jesus warns us against these ways of living that lead us in the worry and the first one is an inadequate investment of our heart based on where we put our treasures so jesus is saying here don't lay up treasures on earth but lay up treasures in heaven jesus is not saying don't have anything i mean at the end of the text we've already said this it says your father knows you need some things it's not wrong to have things, the cliche says, but it is wrong to let them have you. And this, this, this little phrase, lay up, it's, it's not talking about simply possessing. It's talking about putting your security in this. So like, this is my safety net. This is the stuff that, that calms my anxiety. So I think, okay, everything else might fall apart, but I've got this laid up. I've got this stored up. And Jesus is saying, if that's your treasure... And whether you want to admit it or not, that's really where your heart is. And in the Bible, the heart is this central sort of causal core of our motivations for life, our expectations for life. And so our anxiety is very much connected to that. Our hearts, this, this section is saying, is tethered to our treasure. So as our treasure goes, so our hearts go. And so nothing even has to actually happen to that treasure for you to get anxious. It's just, if that's where your treasure is, you will live with this anxiety of even it being threatened. Treasures on earth, on and off. earth. The IRS could mess with you. You think you own your home, but don't pay your property taxes and see who really owns your home. <laughs> A boat, a guitar, a car, clothes, shoes. If at the end of the day you're saying, this is what I go and my heart snuggles up with so it feels safe. It's where your treasure is. And so verses 23 through two. 22 and 23 just kind of flow out of that. This is not inadequate investment of the heart, but this inadequate investment of the eyes. It says the eye is the, the lamp of the body. And there's some different ways to look at this. It's whether the 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 eye, the eye kind of sees from the heart or the, the eye conditions the heart, and you could go either way. But what he's saying is how you see things is connected now to how you experience the world. And what it means for the eye to be healthy, the, the, the word beyond that is it's, it has a singular focus. This is my verse 24 when it's saying you can't serve two masters comes right on the heels. It's saying a person who has a divided heart has a divided vision for life. And a person who lives life divided with its kind of foot in both worlds, the kingdom, is going to always be super anxious. It's going to always be anxious and and this evil eye that it talks about in here is not talking about that look your, your wife gives you when you won't shut up. It's, it's, talking about, it's talking about this greedy eye. It's like an eye that's always looking out to say, who has more than me? Who has better than me? Or how could I be better? Or how could I have more? Greed is about comparison. When you live your life that way, that's your vision for life. Anxiety. Anxiety is going to always be there because you're never going to have enough. Your image will never be enough. Your stuff will never be enough. Your self will never be enough. Other people ultimately can't be trusted. So you're anxious. You have this lens that is fear that you see all of life through. And in verse 24, we're familiar with this. We see an inadequate investment of our will or our service. Again, we, we look to God and say, hold my beer on this one for sure. When he says, no one can serve two masters. You'll, be, you'll hate one or be devoted to the other. You'll, you'll love one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. Do, do any of us in here really believe that deep down in our hearts? When we all When We are a people who love to look at Jesus and say, I can, Jesus. I can do both. And we get really anxious when we want to believe Jesus because we look out amongst our culture and even in our churches and we say, they're doing both. I'm not going to play this game where I'm over here not doing both and they're all doing both and they don't care. And so we live with this anxiety. We're miserable Christians because we have a divided allegiance. We want Jesus to to have all this responsibility in our life, but we do not want to give him authority. And we're anxious. Worry grows from these insecure investments. One night when I was a youth pastor, I had a friend from high school I, haven't, I hadn't seen for years. And he just kind of flew into, right after we were finished, it was like he was waiting at the door. And he had this hair kind of like Kramer. So just imagine like Kramer, if you know who I'm talking about on Seinfeld. He kind of blows in and he says, I need you to get in the car and go with me to Atlanta right now. But the next phrase he said to me is, it's not a pyramid scheme. So <laughs> no offense to anybody, but when somebody tells you that, it's, it's a yellow flag. It's time to get rich. Why be a chump who's doing this regular work every day, worrying about life, when if you just get in this car and go with me to Atlanta, you can have homes on the beach. Well, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, but I didn't get in that car to go to Atlanta. <laughs> Needless to say, he didn't get rich and isn't living on a beach, and nobody who got in the car did. But what if, what if old boy shows up when I'm broke, And alone and afraid. And says, you can ride with me to Atlanta. You'll have somebody to be with. And if you'll just invest a $1,000 in this, you'll have something to live for. I don't know. Probably still not getting in the car with him. But sometimes it feels good to just have something tangible to latch on to feels more tangible than God sometimes. We want to quiet the worry. If we're not careful, we will will take these calls that the enemy gives us to invest ourselves into. When the devil shows up as an angel of light, offering us freedom from the fears of our futures, freedom from the guilt and shame of our image, And freedom from that sense that life is meaningless. We don't only get in the car, but sometimes we pay for the gas and offer to drive. (laughs) But we find ourselves stuck. Anxiety comes from a lot of things. From from the story of God, the fall of the world, our wounds, these idolatries, spiritual warfare, the ways we handle our weaknesses. But we can make it worse. And Jesus is saying here, if we invest our heart in the wrong things, we will. I could look at your schedule and look at your spending and I could probably tell you where your anxiety is. Your eyes. Some of you are working to overcome your anxiety through increasing your image. I could look at your scrolling and I could look at the rise and fall of your self-esteem on a daily basis and probably say, here's where your anxiety is. And then your serving could look at your commitments and your primary comforts, the ones you prioritize in your life. This is what I've got to have at the end of the day. And we could say this is probably where our anxiety is. Can we consume away our anxiety? Jesus says no. Actually, it's the opposite. The more you try to spend it away, the more it grows. The more you try to image it away, the more it grows. And the more you try to serve it away, the more it grows. So, is there any hope? Well, Jesus tells us there is here. He now gives us in verses 25 through 33 some places and ways that we can invest our hearts that, that isn't going to flip a switch to where we're no longer anxious, but is going to fuel a growth and a freedom from anxiety. He wants to lead his people out of this. He doesn't want them to just accept it. This is why he says in verse 25, Therefore... He points them here, first of all, to the fact that God's purpose is bigger in this world than just what we think is all these immediate, ultimate issues. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We get stuck in ourselves and he's trying to say, life is bigger than that. those little things that are... I mean, we're talking about food, clothing, and shelter here. We're not talking about like you know, should I get a, add a pair of boots to my clothing? You know, it's like these are big things, and Jesus said even those big things aren't the ultimate things. So, like, come on, let's get let's get out of that inward focused world and remember, life's bigger than you, and life's even bigger than that stuff. And then in verses twenty six and twenty seven, he points them to this this vision of God's providence and His provision and His presence in their lives by saying, "Look at the birds." God takes care of them, and ever how much you love animals, and I'm glad people love animals, even though it, that does get weird, some weird extremes sometimes. Jesus here says this, you're of more value than them. So don't let anybody give you a theology that says God, you don't have value. Jesus says right here, God looks at you and says, you're more valuable to me than those birds. But it's amazing when you think about all of the wildlife in the world that God sustains without any human help. There's lizards and frogs and insects right now being held alive by the presence and providence and provision of God in jungles we will never see. And you're more value than them. So he's says here, do you think by being anxious you can add an hour to your life? If you're like me, some of us do think, yeah. My anxiety is what keeps me safe. My, my mind games are what keeps me going. But what Jesus is saying here isn't to be mean, but he's saying like, do you, do you really think you're God? I don't remember which Chevy Chase movie it was to date myself, Fletch or one of those, or Caddyshack. It's like, will it? That's Caddyshack. Will it into the hole, right? It's like, we, we think like, I can, I can worry myself out of my anxiety. We have to have an apprehension of God's providence and provision and presence. But verses 28 through 30 is we have to have an awareness of his love. This is where he tells us not just to look to the birds, but look to the lilies or the flowers of the field. How beautiful they are! He's saying they're King Solomon, the richest dude in the history of the kingdom of Israel. I guess we'd say. If you go back and read, he he had it all, and Jesus is saying, and that, that field of wild flowers is more beautiful than all that stuff he had. He says, If God clothes the grass of the field, which today's alive is tomorrow thrown in the oven, will He not much more clothe you? We're worried about our image. We're seeing our life through this lens of greed and comparison. And Jesus is saying, God loves you, God thinks you're beautiful. And He's committed to your beauty. so we see jesus's challenge here oh you of little faith now some of us might think man do i really want to walk up to somebody who's anxious (laughs) and say oh you of little faith (laughs) that seems kind of mean sounds like jesus has not got on the train of more better ways to love people but what Jesus is saying here is not an attempt to shame or guilt or create more fear in the anxious soul. What he's calling them to is, is something that's far deeper, though, than an intellectual ascent. We think we can defeat our anxiety with the same weapons that fuel our anxiety, which is our mental gymnastics. And Jesus is saying, I think he's saying here, like, that's not real faith is. Faith isn't just you going and memorizing all the verses in the Bible about the sovereignty of God and then wondering what the heck's wrong with me that I still can't go to sleep. Faith is about investing your trust in the Father. It's how verse thirty three fits in the context of this passage and and in this sermon at least. So that, that kind of trust then looks like a prioritization of our allegiances, our energy, and our mental life. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't say what it's, verse 31, don't walk around, you got this inner dialogue going. If you're anxious, I mean, you know Jesus is a pretty good heart surgeon here, is you're just walking around saying, I'm always processing everything. How's this gonna turn out? How's this gonna turn out? How's this gonna turn out? What'll I wear? What'll I eat? What'll I drink? What's gonna happen? Jesus is saying, let we we wanna let's redirect that energy if you wanna be free. Another bicycle story. We had the honor to get to know and love a, a young homeless man. Some of you've met through our common mission of our missional community and eventually invited him to live with us. And really whatever we had was his. And if he wasn't as a son to me, he was a little brother for sure. Oh, how I loved him. Still do. So many ways we loved him. Imperfectly, but we did. But long story short, things got bad. Things went sad. And one day I couldn't find my youngest son's bicycle. And so I had my suspicions. (laughs) Then I asked him where it was. And he said, I don't know. I don't know where it is. And I said, "Well, you know maybe, maybe you got drunk and wrote it somewhere and left it. Something like that had happened before. He's like, "No." and, and he was lying." So uh, it was really clear though, why he was lying because he, he just really didn't trust me. He didn't trust me enough to be able to, to handle what he did, what it would mean if he fessed up how I would respond. I mean, he might lose his food, clothing, and shelter if he trusted me enough to come to me with the problem. So I called his girlfriend, and of course the bike was at her apartment. I wanted to look at him and say, Do you not know how much I love you? Do you not see how much we've sacrificed to give you anything that you want I would go buy you a bicycle all that we have is yours as convicted as I reflect on that how I do the same things to God maybe not outright lying but I live this divided life where I'm hedging my bets God I'm going to trust you But I've got a plan if you don't come through. And that's why I'm anxious. And then I like to blame God on it. Told you this would happen. I think what Jesus is saying is Would you look at your heavenly Father? He's not wanting to shake us, but by His Spirit right now, I think He wants us all to say, would you look around and see how I love you? How committed I am to sustaining you and caring for you. He wants us to have this new meditation where we realize that our life is about more than our stuff. He wants to change that, that mental world that we have by saying to us, Remember, life is bigger. There's a bigger story you're a part of. You're a part of this story that includes Job. You're a part of this story that includes Joseph. You're a part of this story that includes Jeremiah. They had some horrible things happen to them. And yet look at how I was with them through it all, even then when they thought that I wasn't with them. And I think he wants to tell us who are anxious and in a kind way, to remove ourselves from the center of the universe. Because we can't bear that weight. We can't be our own God. We can't be our children's God. We can't be our spouse's God. We can't be our missional community's God. And if we try to be God, then we will live anxious lives. But what's amazing to me here is it's not just that Jesus gives them this new meditation, but really quickly, this new imagination. Jesus, in dealing with their anxiety, surprisingly, doesn't give them a Bible study from the Old Testament. He says, let's walk outside and look at birds and flowers. Because he knows that a worried and anxious person needs more than just information. They need imagination. They need to be captured at the heart of how they imagine the world and what might happen in these worst-case scenarios. And Jesus invites them to invite Him there. That's what many of us need to do is invite Jesus, not just through through the Word, but through our imaginations to meet us at the spots in our lives where our worries are the worst. And then the last thing is not only that new meditation and that new imagination, but a new prioritization. Like we have to start doing stuff. We've got to like test him. I'm going to reprioritize my life to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, and see if see what God does. And so Jesus concludes this text by pointing us, I think, beyond maybe where we think he would go. And the last verse, he basically just says, "Don't be anxious about tomorrow." Tomorrow will be anxious for itself and sufficient for the days it's on trouble. So Jesus is not saying life's not full of troubles. (laughs) He's just saying we've got to look at our troubles in a different way. The question is, can we trust Him? What's the guarantee He's offering? Maybe that's the question you're asking. What's the guarantee He's offering me here? Offering us... It's not a process and a plan as much as it's a person. It's himself. That's what that verse is saying. I want you to live one day at a time with me. Not because he's distant from our worries, but because he entered a world full of worries. It's amazing. Jesus is sleeping in the boat while there's a storm and the disciples are freaking out. But then when Jesus goes into the garden as he prepares to face the storm of God's wrath and is sweating drops of blood, what are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. We're sweating over the wrong things and sleeping on the wrong things. And Jesus, though, offered all the world by the enemy, all the stuff, he could have he could have laid that trouble aside. But instead, because He loves us warriors, He went to the cross. And while we slept, He suffered. So that we might could go to sleep. <laughs> Father, we thank You for the good news of Jesus. We pray now as, as we prepare to sing this last song that You would help us, God, to Align our minds and our hearts and our wills with the reality of your presence in our daily struggles and our fears and our worries. And might you transform us for your glory and this city's good. In Jesus' name, amen.